Welcome to this week's Branding Bud podcast. I'm David Palaszczuk, the author of the best-selling book, Branding Bud, The Commercialization of Cannabis, the first book on cannabis branding. I'm pleased to introduce this week's guest, Lisa Weezer, founder of Trailblaze, a cannabis-focused PR firm and mastermind behind the viral 850-pound pot brownie. This week, we'll be chatting about Lisa's pivot from being the queen of beers to the cannabis publicist. Let's jump in, shall we? Thanks for joining us, Lisa. You bet. Thanks for having me. A little about you. As I called out, you were at AB InBev, and now you are the founder of Trailblaze, a PR firm uh, focused on uh, cannabis and psychedelics. Why, why the jump from alcohol to cannabis and then some? Um, you know, great question. Um, I think that uh, we all have seen what has been happening in the alcohol industry, where um, I was sitting in a place at Budweiser where I had been there about six years, but I had been in the industry longer. And I was seeing year over year, alcohol was on the decline, <laughs> right? It was a lot of work to stay relevant. And we were moving away um, from beer towards a lot more hard seltzers and uh, you know different types of products to try to lure new uh, consumers to the category. I was also finding as I was getting older, I was not really drinking alcohol much anymore um, and was getting more interested in CBD and cannabis. And I think for me, the first big aha moment um, was when Canopy Growth uh, first made their initial 10% investment. Um, or I'm sorry, when Constellation made their first investment in Canopy Growth, 10%, which was in late 2017. Um, and I watched everybody's heads explode around me at AB InBev because um, yeah, it was really a signal to them that cannabis and beer you know, were joining forces and that there were some major shifts going on and they weren't going to keep this at bay anymore. And I really felt like that was the moment to jump. Um, so I um, decided to make the big move um, and leave that job. Um, actually, leaving New York was part of that because I, um, you know, needed to um, uh, make some changes so that I could set myself up to start my own company. Um, and weirdly enough, two years later, Canopy Growth was um, one of my biggest clients. So it really came full circle. It really did. Now that you have the same client in the cannabis industry, what lessons did you learn at at Budweiser that you've taken into the cannabis industry? You know, I think that the first one is kind of a marketing lesson that is really true for anybody that has any kind of brand, which, um, you know, they like to say, you know, be outside in instead of inside out. Um, so I had the opportunity to work with a lot of great marketers as well as great agencies, you know, people like Gary Vee, um, you know, that, that worked with us on our brands. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of people expect to um, start talking about their brand and just kind of spread out a press release or an announcement about whatever they're doing and they expect other people to care and they expect journalists to cover it and they expect social media to comment on it. And that's really not how it works. Um, if you really want to have a relevant brand, you need to meet people where they're at in culture, um, you know, to be outside in instead of inside out, to, to bring your brand to culture and meet consumers where they are, if it makes sense. Um, less talking about yourself and more figuring out what they care about and finding your brand's way into that conversation. Um, that's definitely a, an approach that I have tried to take with cannabis and with the marketing and PR that we do for our clients. Um, but it's definitely a lesson that is learned from big CPG um, that, you know, is I think a more sophisticated marketing technique that um, hasn't fully caught on in this category yet. I would say the second thing um, is that 
PR. I'm speaking as a PR person, but the PR should be at the beginning of your go-to-market strategy or campaign and not tacked on to the end. And what I mean by that is um, a lot of times people will fully bake their idea, their retail strategy, everything, you know, is ready to go. And then they will come to their, you know, PR agency or their publicist a couple weeks beforehand when they're ready to launch and say, okay, PR this, right? Like write my press release and put it out. Um, you know, at, at Budweiser, PR was at the beginning of the marketing process where they called it the IMC process, but all the agencies sat down, PR, you know, uh, marketing, digital, social, everybody sat down together and kind of came up with ideas early on. PR usually led a lot of those conversations because we were trying to build campaigns that would be media worthy from the beginning. And that would often lead to a much better, more rich campaign that was actually designed to achieve the results that the brand wanted. Um, and, uh, you know, so, and I know we're going to talk about the brownie. It's a great example of a PR led idea. Um, but that's a lesson again, that I think can apply to everything. And third lesson I would say is just to act like a leader and be the king. And by that, I mean, um, you may have heard the adage that you should dress for the job you want instead of the job you have. And, you know, I like to tell people to act like the brand you want to be and not the brand you are. Um, you know, we haven't found the Budweiser of cannabis yet. There is no true leader yet. Um, most consumers can't name five cannabis brands off the top of their head um, or CBD brands for that matter. So there is still no leader in this category. Um, so there's a huge opportunity there to be the leader. And the best thing that you can do is start start acting like it, right? Um, you know, people will believe it if you if you do it enough, right? And if you continue to, to bring your A game and continue to market like a leader and punch over your weight, right? Um, over your budget in many cases. Um, so, um, you know, that is, you know, another um, approach that we try to bring to our clients to just be bold. Absolutely. And and speaking of bold, there's an 850 pound pot brownie in the room and, and I feel I must address it. You've masterminded a viral brownie PR stunt, which just this past couple of days was on Saturday Night Live, was on Stephen Colbert, and I believe a few others. Would you tell us more about it, how it went down, what the results are, and, and what your overall feelings are after, after the fact? Sure. Well, this is the kind of uh, moment PR people live for. Um, you know, when you get an outsized result like this, it's, you know, things don't go viral every day, and you can try to design them to do so, but we all know it's impossible to to design something to go viral and have it go right every time. Um, in this case, um, our client had actually asked us, it's a new client, Mary Med, it's a, a you know, mid-tier MSO based in Massachusetts with some um, you know, small brands um, that are newer to the market and you know, are available primarily in the East Coast. So not super well known yet. Um, and uh, they wanted us to come up with a Q4 PR stunt. That was part of our remit. Um, when we first signed on with them. And so we were kind of looking at some different ideas of things that we could do, um, but you know, they'd given us kind of carte blanche. Um, so we took a look at their plans and what they were doing and noticed that they, um, one of their plans was to launch a new soft-baked, um, a soft-baked brand near the year end um, that was gonna include brownies as well as a couple other SKUs. Um, and so we had the idea when we looked at that to peg that to National Brownie Day. Um, and I, one thing that we do is we keep a cultural calendar, as we like to call it, where, you know, we plot out the year 
and we take a look at everything that is happening. So all of those kind of silly national days, national hangover day, national brownie day, but also cultural moments like the Super Bowl or the Grammys at 420, obviously. Um, but we take a look kind of month by month, you know, International Women's Day, what's going to be going on um, and how do those um, cultural moments, you know, possibly relate to our clients? And that's because reporters are really busy. Um, they have to get approval from their editors to write stories a lot of the times. And so, um, you know, for them to write a story, it needs to have a sense of urgency and what we call a news peg. So a reason to write the story and the reason to write it now. So we picked National Brownie Day, not because that's a particularly headline driving day. You may have never heard of it before, but because we knew that our idea plus that national day would give us a reason that we could go out to bigger outlets like USA Today and try to get them to cover it. So that was really the impetus. Um, we brought the client the idea that uh, we wanted to do the world's biggest uh, brownie, pot brownie. Um, we looked into it and found that Guinness World Records um, only uh, their current record holder was around 273 pounds. So um, wanted to know if we could beat that um, and felt that we could. And we knew that, you know, pot brownies, everybody has had an experience with an edible <laughs> at some point in their life. It's usually a pot brownie, right? And those their stories, um, it's just part of culture and part of the vernacular. So we felt like it was something people could really connect with and the jokes just come natural, right? Um, we brought it to the client and I'll tell you, it got shot down um, up front. Um, and the first iteration, um, when we looked at having it professionally produced was gonna cost six figures. And we couldn't, the client couldn't get the budget to make it happen. You know, we couldn't get it done in the time frame. And it, that's the point that a lot of people just give up, right? The client gives up, can't do it. The team gives up. Um, we went back to the drawing board and we tried to figure out how we could do this for basically no budget. And we worked with our client, um, you know, talked to the kitchen um, at their, you know, at Mary Med and found a way to bake the brownie in their kitchen instead of having an external team do it for us. Um, using all of their ingredients, how to do it legally and transport it and kind of figure out all the logistics. And we did it for just the cost of the ingredients and the THC. So less than 5K instead of, you know, six figures. So that's really how the brownie came to be. Um, I'll say that when we knew that this was either going to go everywhere or nowhere, right? Um, you can launch something like this and it can be a busy news day and it falls flat and maybe you get one story and people move on or it was going to be something that was going to kind of puncture the zeitgeist. Um, and luckily for us, it went more viral than I think we could have ever imagined. Um, we ultimately in the past um, 10 days, we've seen over 1,750 stories, unique stories about the Brownie um, that has translated to over 3 billion earned impressions, um, you know, counted um, by uh, unique visitors to those sites. Um, that's, you know, 2x what we normally see for a Super Bowl campaign, having done six Super Bowls in the past. I'm intimately right. familiar. <laughs> um, we really saw coverage from basically every major news outlet, um, you know, from USA Today to NBC to Business Insider to AP, everybody. Um, a lot of um, lifestyle coverage like TMZ, etc. And of course, a lot of coverage in the cannabis trades. Um, lots of broadcast and radio shows. Um, it hit every major late night show. So Jimmy Kimmel, Colbert, Seth Meyers all worked it into their monologues. 
um, you know, TSA, uh, Homeland Security, trolled the brownie and did a hilarious post. If you haven't seen it, go check it out on their IG feed. A hilarious <laughs> post. Traveling with pot. <laughs> it's amazing. I want to hire their social media person. It's one of the funniest posts I've ever seen. But did a whole piece about, can I travel? Can I fly with my 850-pound brownie? And kind of went over the cannabis rules uh, for, for Homeland Security. And finally, you know, I, I was... I was sitting around Saturday night, got a text from my brother saying, your brownie's on TV right now, turn on SNL. And sure enough, um, it made it into Weekend Update, uh, out of the mouth of Tina Fey, uh, my idol. Um, so that was super exciting. And again, that's when you really know you've hit a nerve. Um, you know, you're, you're in culture when you get beyond just the cannabis trades and you're really in the mainstream. You know, you're making those monologues. Um, and so, you know, that's really, and it, we're, we're still counting, right? We're still counting these numbers up, but it's phenomenal. I think it's one of um, probably the most viral things I've ever done. Um, and I've done a lot, um, you know, at Budweiser, I had the chance to do a lot of these types of big campaigns, but we normally had million dollar budgets and celebrities like Lady Gaga and Jay-Z and Justin Timberlake to work with. In this case, I had, you know, um, a few hundred <laughs> bags of sugar, <laughs> pounds of butter, right? A whole lot of THC, and, and we made this thing happen with a very, um, you know, uh, supportive and excited client that helped us figure out how to get it done. Uh, so when you really translate that to the publicity value, I mean, to spend a few thousand dollars and get results like that, it's it uh, doesn't happen very often. So very exciting for the whole team. It's amazing. Unlike your brother, I felt like texting you, but I figured it was good <laughs> to text you on on Saturday night. Bear with me here as I play devil's advocate for a moment. When you worked for Budweiser and when you put together a program for Budweiser, you know the rules. They're pretty clear in terms of advertising, in terms of um, all the things that go along with that. Cannabis rules are a lot muddier uh, mm -hmm. in, in terms of how you play the game. I believe a lot of the press, you know, the press you also received was almost like tongue-in-cheek stoner press, so to speak. Um, like, look, there's an 850-pound brownie. It's mm -hmm. funny, but also plays into this, the stoner stereotype, right? So I, I think there's a lot of extra traction that went into it along those lines. How do you control something like this? You, you know, whereas like a Budweiser Super Bowl ad, you can control it. I guess there are certain things that are up to the audience, right, and how they respond to it. But are there ways that you go into this sort of knowing how to control something like this or how to spin it a certain way so it ends up where it ended up? Or were you just as surprised as everybody else that all of a sudden it's on Saturday Night Live and all these other places? To control the media, tell me your secrets because you cannot control the media. That's the first thing that I tell my clients. This is earned media. If you want to control your press, pay for it. You need to do paid media. That's called buying an ad. And then you can write your own copy. So when you're doing PR, that is always your risk, is that you do not know what the reporters are going to write. Um, what you can do is really work on you know, your messaging and figure out what outcome you want. I always start campaigns by asking my clients, what headlines do you want to see? And then we try to architect our plan to deliver those headlines. In this case, our client was fine with stoner headlines because this was actually a brand that they wanted to sell to stoners. Um, they were launching in Massachusetts, you know, a, a recreational state. And with this brand, the remit that they gave us on, on it's called Bubby's Baked. 
is it was a nostalgic brand that was supposed to harken back, remind people of their earliest experiences with cannabis, you know, with those pot brownies um, and, you know, meant to be enjoyed kind of socially with friends. But they were really trying to appeal to stoners, A. Um, but also to me, you know, if, once you get people talking about cannabis, in the mainstream, it is still normalizing, you know, to see those things come out of the uh, out of the mouth, you know, of Tina Fey or Martha Stewart, that does change culture over time. I think back to when I was in college, and there would be people sitting out, you know, in our little uh, pedestrian mall with signs saying legalize cannabis, and they were wearing, you know, Rastafarian stuff and, you know, smelled like pot. And I remember thinking, like, you're nuts, like pot will never be legal. Like, why are you even trying? Right? Like, I, you know, flash forward to where we are now, and it's a viable career, right? It's, you know, it is a medicine, it is legal in more states where it's not, um, you know, it's a lot has changed quickly. So, you know, anything that we can do to get it in the mainstream to get people talking about it, we want to do that. Um, so no, you can't always control the narrative, but you can absolutely have a strategy to deliver the headlines that you want. Um, in terms of how you get it to some of those places, again, you can't control it, but idea is only half of the equation and the other half is execution. And I have a kick-ass team who spent four days pitching nonstop. I mean, we reached out to the producers of every late night show for three days. The first day, nobody replied. The second day, nobody replied. The third day, they all took it, right? I mean, once it kind of took off. So, you know, having persistence and tenacity um, and also, you know, we put it in their faces again and again and again. And when it got big enough, they finally, you know, paid attention. Um, we know that, you know, we have friends in the writer's room, uh, so we kind of know how they work. And they scan, you know, the newspapers and social, certain social media feeds. They look at places like BuzzFeed, um, you know, when they're putting their monologues together. And we know where they're looking. So we know where we, they, where we want stories to be placed to get the attention of late night. And our client actually specifically told us that it would be a win for them if they got one late night show to the point that I told the team that they could have Friday afternoon off if they got late night. So I had to honor that. <laughs> strategy to it absolutely but you can't control it but you can certainly you can certainly deploy tactics to to give it the best chance of success uh, it's funny you say that a win to get one late night show that's uh, that would be a grand slam in in at least a home run but you you've seemed to have gotten a grand slam which is pretty amazing no getting late night for cannabis is impossible a lot of the times and broadcast uh, we did a campaign with Martha Stewart and we couldn't get her on today's show to talk about it to talk about CBD and she has a segment on the today show but they would not accept CBD even CBD for pets um, you know, so getting broadcast for cannabis is a very, very high bar. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit easier with late night than with morning. But again, we want to be the first to change that. When you see cannabis on, on morning shows, hopefully we'll be behind it. It's really interesting to me to hear you say that. I, I guess there are, it's almost, uh, there are layers to, to the onion, right? You know, if, if you if you get on BuzzFeed, then the writers from the late night shows are checking that out. So therefore you're more inclined to get on their show. It seems, so it just seems like there's a layering or, 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 an, or a hierarchy, if you will, of building a strategy and buzz. Absolutely. And, you know, things get to a point where it, it starts off where we're pitching, 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 trying to get people to write about it. And you know, you can feel when you get to that point where now it's taken a life of its own, where now people are writing stories about the stories and now 
people are reaching out to you, asking you for comments, for photos, etc. So, you know, that happened for us. We, we actually decided to launch the day before National Brownie Day to give people time to read our press release, write a story, digest it, or tee something up for the next day. So, you know, Tuesday morning, we only had a couple stories. The client was nervous, but we knew it was coming. We were like, wait, it's going to hit tomorrow. We did it a day early on purpose because people need time to write their story and prep for the next day. Um, And it was actually by Tuesday afternoon, the night before National Brownie Day, I think after TMZ and a few others hit, that's when we really noticed that we were no longer pitching it. It was now just inbound flooding of emails and calls of, you know, reporters wanting the photo, wanting comments, et cetera. So, um, you know, if you get it out there enough, then media is noticing other people uh, writing about it and talking about it on social and it starts to catch fire, get a bit of a a life of its own. Then you just have to let it ride. (laughs) That's exciting. I I must admit, I did not know it was National Brownie Day and I need to get up on my, my retail calendar, I suppose. You know what? You don't need to know. Normally, that wouldn't matter to anybody. We just needed a reason to pitch it. But it comes back again to strategy. We actually had our client hold their launch. They could have launched that brand in November. We had them hold it until we were, you know, we said, you'll have the best possible launch if we can launch on this day tied to National Brownie Day because that's the day we can get the most PR for it. So they held their launch so we could do that. And that's what I meant about having PR at the table for your go-to-market strategy. If they would have just said, you're launching this on, you know, November 21st, you know, and we would have been like, okay, that's Thanksgiving week. Everybody's going to be off. Nobody's going to write about it. You know, I mean, this is a brand that launched in one state in three, three dispensaries, right? So how are we going to get national media to care about that? Normally, they would never write about that. So we knew we needed to find a way to make it interesting to them, which is why we did the brownie to commemorate the launch of of Bubbies. And one result I'll say that's interesting, separate from just the media results that we got for the brownie, you know, both Mary Med and Bubbies Baked got, you know, about 4x uh, growth on their social media followers. Uh, they got a new analyst to start covering the company, which is a publicly traded company, and then a second analyst this week. So two new analysts. They only had one analyst covering them. Now they have three in the, in, you know, in the space of a week. Stock went up and has stayed up and sustained, um, you know, basically since this announcement. Investors have been reaching out. You know, we it, our, the CEO told us that they've been getting inbound sales requests, partner requests, that they've just been phones lighting up. So this did a lot more than just get PR for them. It's actually driving investor and analyst interest, um, you know, and it's got the, you know, employees very excited. It's got investors excited. So, you know, it, it's it's a lot more than a PR stunt at the end of the day. So tell us a little more about that. You, you know, as the founder of a PR firm doing what you do, now all of a sudden hitting a grand slam and and now helping this company that's public, you know, bring on new analysts and and get the attention they didn't have before, probably bring on new capital, um, all of those other things. Does that change your role in the way not only you see yourself, but in the way they see uh, your firm as well? I mean, I hope that they, you know, take notice and see us as a partner and bring us to the table more. Um, I have presented some other ideas to them that didn't fly, that they're now reconsidering, that they thought were crazy, <laughs> that now they're <laughs> may not be crazy after all. My team knows some of those ideas I'm talking about. Um, you know, uh, the, the bottom line is when you do a PR stunt like this, it's great, but it's over, you know, in a day or two weeks and you have to come up with the next thing. 
Um, we're in the process right now at this time, time of year of planning out 2022 for our clients and really looking at first quarter in particular of what's happening in culture, what are they going to be launching? What are the moments? So we are already looking at, you know, it may not be a huge viral moment, but what are the other, you know, what are the other opportunities that we are going to have to tell, tell their story, um, it, it, you know, in the next kind of three to six months. So that's, you know, we're, we're planning that out well in advance um, and trying to bring those plans and get them approved because some of these things, you know, do take a lot of time. This brownie, it did take us about six weeks to plan this. Um, you know, to figure out, I mean, they had to figure out how to bake it in their in their kitchen. They didn't have an oven big enough. Um, I mean, we had to bring in pallets to hold this thing, to hold the weight of it. There was definitely some logistics involved. So, um, you know, I really do like to plan these things out in advance uh, so that we can do them, you know, as well as possible. It's funny, though, I, I as a PR agency, I never would have thought your, your responsibilities are baking logistics. So um, <laughs> you've really worked it through. You know, I mean, it is a cannabis firm, so, you know, puns <laughs> are, are welcome. Plenty of faking involved. Um, but no, you know, I mean, it, look, one of the things I love about being in the cannabis industry and the reason I call my company Trailblaze is because nobody knows what they're doing here. I've been, I've been in, you know, the PR industry for 30 years and I've worked, you know, at some of the biggest companies before Budweiser, I launched the iPhone. Um, but, you know, now this is a completely new game. Right. Nobody nobody knows what's coming next in cannabis. We have all of these weird regulations we have to figure out. Clients don't have the kinds of budgets and the ki kinds of staff and the mega agencies supporting them to help bring things to life in the way that big CPGs do. So it's constantly trying to figure out ways to get that done. So there's a lot of doing things that probably aren't your job or shouldn't be your job. And we had C-suite people in the kitchen trying to figure out how to bake a brownie, <laughs> you know, uh, but we got it done. And again, it's amazing when you have a partner that's willing to take a risk um, and willing to collaborate with you and kind of roll up their sleeves and figure stuff like this out. Not everyone is willing to do that. That's true. And that's really what it's about. Do, do you recommend brands do PR stunts? I do. But what a PR stunt looks like for different brands is going to vary. So, you know, for some brands, it's going to be something like a pot brownie, but not every brand, you know, is going after a stoner joke. For some clients, that would be appalling, right? It really depends on the brand. Um, so uh, there, you know, for some brands, a P the idea of a PR stunt might actually be doing something that is more tied to social justice um, or, um, you know, to education. I'm thinking back to um, something Acreage did a couple years ago, uh, where they uh, created a video that was called kind of the Super Bowl ad that CBS won't let you see. And it was basically a video that featured several different medical cannabis patients from children to veterans. And it was a black and white educational video, kind of an emotional video that, you know, showed all of the different ways that cannabis was helping these people's lives. And it was a PR stunt because they, they knew it wasn't going to be accepted as a TV ad for the Super Bowl. You know, they made it, you know, knowing that it would get rejected, much like we knew we were going to be rejected by Guinness <laughs> because we applied and found out that, you know, that they weren't going to accept the cannabis product. They knew they would not be accepted by CBS and that if any, that actually gave them the news hook to go out and pitch the, the Super Bowl ad, they won't let you see. And that made that go viral. So that's a really different type of viral stunt. Um, you know, that was right for that brand. And uh, so there's lots of different ways that you can do it. Um, but in terms of why to do it, I think there's a few things. Number one, obviously, it's going to drive awareness of your brand. 
So again, cannabis brands, most consumers can't name five. Uh, there's a huge opportunity to just, you know, get your name out there. SEO is really important. When, you know, when people Google you, do you exist? PR is a great way to really create a digital footprint. And one really great PR stunt can do a lot for driving awareness of your brand. Uh, so that's first. Second, I think it helps establish a brand personality. Uh, so, um, you know, is your brand a humorous brand, right? Are you a Bud Light or are you a Stella Artois? Uh, you know, figuring out what is the personality of your brand and then how can you bring that to life um, and, you know, in a way that consumers are going to connect with. Um, it also helps connect your brand to culture, as we said. So, um, you know, finding ways to, um, you know, it, in the beer world, we used to really look at passion points, we call them, of consumers. So is your consumer, are they into sports, right? Are they into music? Are they into the arts? Like, what are their passion points? and be there. So if, if it's the arts, you know, be at Art Basel. If it's food, you know, uh, then be at, you know, a, a, at a foodie conference. If it's music, be at Lala, you know, or you know, wherever, um, look at festivals. So um, it really is about figuring out what cultural moments uh, matter to your current or potential consumers and finding ways to connect your brand to that. Um, it helps to track social followers. So everybody's always looking at how they can grow their social following. And as I mentioned, Mary Med and Bubby saw a huge bump in followers. You know, they were launching a brand new brand. And if you've ever launched a brand new brand on Instagram, guess what? You launch with zero followers unless you have purchased those followers. So it's a great way to quickly, you know, add potentially thousands of followers in the span of a week by doing a stunt. In fact, um, SNL's Instagram, we just, my, my brother again, let me know that SNL's Instagram just posted the brownie video and has 500,000 likes and growing. So, you know, you can get a lot of traction in social. Um, and finally, as I mentioned, getting the attention of analysts, investors, potential partners, customers, um, you know, it, it does a lot more than just get you headlines. It really can get the attention of people, um, you know, that are interested in investing in your brand. They see you making moves. They see you're getting talked about. It, it creates some excitement in the marketplace, and it often does affect the stock price. We have seen, um, you know, consistently we have seen PR affect um, stock price. I never want people to hire us just to affect stock price, but we often see that effect, and we see it sustain. And finally, you know, you're, you're – your book is Branding Bud. This is about building your brand for the long term. What I learned working at Budweiser, that was a brand that was over 150 years old. The formulation had never changed. The branding barely changed. How do you keep that brand relevant for, you know, millennials and Gen Z? You know, how are you going to continue to connect with them? You're going to have to constantly come up with new ways to, you know, stay in the conversation, keep their attention. And that is just, you know, that's PR, that, you know, PR and marketing. So, um, you know, it's not something you necessarily need to be doing every day, but it should definitely be part of your PR toolkit. If I recall correctly, Lisa, during your presentation in Chicago at the Cannabis Drinks Expo, you said something that stuck with me. There was a quote, if I recall correctly, from Adolphus Bush, I believe, which was, we don't make beer, we make friends. Is that correct? It was making friends is our business. That too seemed, you know, to really bring it back to to the relevancy, right? You know, if you can if you can think of it in those terms, then it's always going to be more relevant. Mm -hmm. And in their case, you know, it was the beer wasn't selling the beer; the people were selling the beer. They needed to, you know, befriend the wholesalers and distributors that were going to sell that 
product. And that's also incredibly true in um, the cannabis industry. So when I have potential clients come to us and want to hire us, one of the first questions I always ask in the vetting process is, what is your, what's your retail strategy? How many doors do you have? Like, who are your distributors? Because if you don't have a, your distribution channel behind you, all the PR in the world isn't really going to help you if people then can't find your product on the shelf. Um, if you're an e-commerce brand, it's a little different, you know, then you can just be driving to that. But if you're a beverage, for example, or a product that is going to be primarily at retail, you need to kind of get that right first so that then the PR can give that the lift. Um, but, um, you know, and it's a bit of a chicken and egg because getting more PR helps get more distributors, but you need to at least have some sort of footprint there, I recommend, before you invest in, in publicity. So you make a great point. Many of my clients often either tell me how many followers they have and tell me how many more followers they want. And I always make the point that your followers really need to be in the same states that you sell your product. So in this case, again, you, you hit the ball out of the park with Saturday Night Live and, and all the evening shows. Everybody now has seen this. Perhaps they know the brand. Let's just say those that either live in Massachusetts or close to Massachusetts are the, are the ones that can actually get the product. Mm -hmm. so, so really what you did is very unusual because normally, normally everybody talks about how how they they want to get to the other states now you have interest in the other states and potentially that even helps licensed producers and processors now want to manufacture bubbies baked in in other states other than massachusetts sure and you know even six months from now when their sales team goes in to have conversations and somebody googles them they're going to now get about you know 50 pages of results, right? Which is mm -hmm. very different than getting three results on one page. So again, it just, it, it helps with SEO. It shows relevancy, um, you know, and they can basically produce a sheet that says our brand has been talked about by all of these, you know, all of these different news outlets. Um, so it is an important part of their selling process too, I think. So now when the C CEO, CMO, or, or head of licensing or biz dev really goes out to other states and says, license our, our brand, normally the question is, why should we license your brand? Or we want to license your brand, but why should we pay you that much? We'll pay you this. Well, now the answer is because you see what our team can do for you and, and mm -hmm. how, how we can promote the products and drive demand. Exactly. So you have worked in so many places, um, certainly outside of cannabis, but and have many clients inside of cannabis. What are your favorite campaigns? And I guess I'll ask both inside and outside cannabis that either you've worked on or that you've just admired? You know, I think our um, most awarded campaign um, and also has been a career highlight for me um, was the launch of Martha Stewart CBD, um, which we did with Canopy Growth um, about a year and a half ago. Uh, and, you know, that was amazing for a lot of reasons. You know, I have had the opportunity to work with celebrities a lot in my career in, in beer. Um, so, you know, um, that aspect of it wasn't unique, but, you know, Martha is in a league of her own uh, and um, she actually really cares about and is invested in this category. She uses CBD personally and with her pets um, and she's just a total pro to work with, but also, uh, and so is Canopy. Um, it, it was just a phenomenal team and a phenomenal effort. And, um, you know, that was a, a, for that client, you know, our goal for them, you know, a, a stoner joke is not what they were going for. In fact, we were really trying to avoid that. Um, we were trying to keep the conversation very focused on CBD and wellness. So uh, the, um, 
dream headline the client gave us was the cover of New York Times Styles. So that's what we went for and that's what we got. And we had a full page feature, um, you know, in on the cover of New York Times Styles section, um, an amazing interview with Martha. She made her own necklace out of the gummies because she's Martha um, for the photo shoot, which was amazing. Um, but that was a situation where, you know, we again, um, you know, we saw Canopy Growth had the biggest sales day of the company's history, uh, the day that we launched and the day that that, well, the day that that story hit. Um, so we saw, you know, a direct correlation from PR to sales. Um, they, they saw that brand in about a six month time period climb to be the top, one of the top three best selling CBD edibles in America. Um, so very quickly gained a lot of share. Um, but for me, it was, I really felt like this is going to be in a book like somebody like David will write at some point when they look back and look at the different milestones that happened along the way to help legalize cannabis. I think Martha getting involved in the segment and befriending Snoop and launching her own CBD line has really moved the needle for mainstream America. It has gotten, you know, an older demographic and a more conservative demographic um, you know, interested in CBD, which is in many ways a gateway to, you know, being comfortable with cannabis, whether you use it or not. It, you know, the majority of Americans now approve of cannabis legalization. Uh, and I think a lot of that is that they've gotten comfortable with CBD and with medical cannabis and with celebrities like Martha Stewart getting involved in the category. It's just done a lot to normalize. So we're really proud of the work that we did. Um, we were, um, were fortunate to win a lot of PR and marketing awards for the work that we did. Um, so it was very well recognized. Um, and it's, you know, it's the type of project that doesn't come along every day in cannabis. So we're really proud of it and had a lot of fun. That's very cool. And, you know, you really bring up a good point. I'm often down on celebrity brands because I often question the value that the celebrity brings to the industry. But the truth is, is that they normalize the product and normalize consumption. And I think that's really important, which uh, I guess is always underplayed and often overlooked. Yeah, I mean, there's always a lot of, you know, back and forth about, you know, whether, whether, you know, CBDs or celebrities have a place in the category, and some do just slap their name on a product. I, that is not the case with this one. Um, you know, Martha is extremely involved in the formulations and the flavors and the process. Um, and really with all of her brands, she's amazing. I can't believe the energy, <laughs> you know, and the discipline uh, that, that goes into everything that she does. Uh, I do think that the, the industry needs that right now. Anything that it takes to, to normalize this. And there are, you know, there are going to be your Chelsea handlers that are going to appeal to some people. And, you know, Martha Stewart is going to appeal to other people. But um, at the end of the day, what we want to see is enough of America on both sides of the aisle comfortable with cannabis to legalize it get people out of jail, get everybody the access that they need for medical or recreational purposes and, you know, free the plant. I think it's going to help expedite things. Indeed. I, I mean, certainly if Snoop and Martha can come together, everybody else can. Yeah, absolutely. What advice do you have for startups or uh, entrepreneurs looking to garner coverage, but can't afford to hire a PR agency? What do you suggest for them? You know, I talk to somebody like that almost every day. Um, we have people that come to us that, you know, just aren't the right fit for us because they just don't have the budget yet for a PR agency or maybe just don't, their business isn't at the point of maturity where I feel like the ROI is there for them, you know, to enlist us. I really do look for people that are ready for the services that we can offer. That said, I think, um, you know, a little, a, a little publicity is good for every brand. So what I typically do is um, recommend some amazing um, 
uh, freelance publicists. Uh, there's a really nice network uh, that I'm part of where, you know, it's everybody from agency owners to freelancers. I've hired a lot of freelancers to do projects. And in many cases, they've come on to be employees. And it's a great way to get bang for your buck for, you know, a, a much smaller budget. You can get one really dedicated, connected freelancer uh, who can, you know, work either on a project basis, on an hourly basis. Uh, you know, they can really work with your budget. Uh, that said, I would just say, ask for recommendations and interview people before you hire someone. Um, always ask a publicist to, uh, I, I like to ask them questions like, you know, show me the last, like, you know, your last five placements that you're proud of and, you know, make sure they were recent and not from like 2012, like the dating profile where, you know, somebody's picture is, is from 20 years ago, right? Make sure that they've, you know, got relevant work, um, you know, check in, you know, ask if you can speak with, um, you know, one of their other clients. Um, and um, I like to ask them to name a couple reporter relationships that they think they could bring to the table, right? Um, they should be able to roll several names off the top of their tongue. And if you look those people up, they should be people that write about your category. Uh, so that would be my recommendation. Start with a freelancer, ask a few questions to make sure that, you know, they're, they're the right fit. Um, we do have a lot of people come to us that feel like they have been burned by past PR agencies. Um, I think that's a combination of people not having realistic expectations around what they can get out of PR. Um, but also, again, I think if you're just looking for somebody to just give you headlines and they're not part of your strategy and they're not bringing you ideas, um, if all they're doing is writing press releases, press releases do not drive news coverage. People, you know, publicists picking up the phone and texting and sending emails to their contacts, that's what drives news coverage and, you know, motivates journalists to write a story. And, you know, we know these journalists, we know what they like to write. We know when they are on maternity leave or on vacation, you know, unavailable. Um, you know, we really like to match the right journalist to the right story. Um, so there's an art to it. And you know, not everybody is is great at that. Um, so you definitely want to vet who you work with, but also, you know, discuss the results you want and make sure that you're aligned on what the expectation is for what success is going to look like. I, I think it's uh, most important really to, to know what you want. If, if you hire a publicist and don't really know what you want, then they can never really deliver exactly what it is you're asking for. And they hope everybody hopes for the best. So I think that's great advice. Or if you um, just want something crazy that isn't realistic because, you know, you haven't given them enough to work with. Um, you know, if they, if you tell them you want to be on Kimmel, but you're not giving them anything to work with, you're not willing to bake the brownie, you know, they, they can't, they're not magicians. So, you know, you do need to be able to give them, you know, the right material and the right access and, um, you know, uh, everything that they need to, to do their best work for you. Although I, I'm, I must say, I'm chuckling at what it must have looked like to see everybody's faces when you pitched, let's make an 850 pound pot brownie. It's not as weird as the faces I got when I pitched sending Budweiser to Mars, which was the other big campaign that I did outside of cannabis. And that took three pitches to get through to our management and then ended up like, I think it won a Cam Ryan, but was an incredible marketing campaign that was about, you know, basically engaging in the space race uh, and, uh, and sending, you know, sending beer into space. A case where the CMO said, bring me ideas meant to drive headlines. And that's where we started. And then we backed into what we can actually execute. It's, it's perfect. And 
you, you brought ideas that can drive headlines. So let's chat about the clients you serve. What types of businesses do you work with and, and how do you help them? Sure. It's changed a little bit over time. Um, you know, we work with everyone from big MSOs to startups. Um, our focus is cannabis, CBD, and psychedelics. Um, ultimately, we're, I mean, we're looking for brands that we believe are going to be, um, you know, in it for the long haul, um, that, you know, that it's a good chemistry fit with our team. Um, and just brands that we really believe in that we, you know, we like how they do business. We like their brands, um, you know, and, uh, and it's fun to work on. So we have some, you know, CPG clients like Canopy Growth. Uh, we work with um, a few MSOs um, like Air Wellness or Mary Med, which was the, the brownie client. Um, we do a lot of work in retail. Um, everybody from MedMen, um, which is a, a client we took on last year to help them kind of bring the brand back to life and, and you know, tell their turnaround story. Uh, we're launching uh, their location at Fenway this week, which is really exciting in Boston, um, to grow Generation, which is kind of like the Home Depot uh, of weed, um, sell a hydroponic store, but one um, that we really helped them drive, um, you know, their stock price and really get on the map uh, last year. Um, in terms of psychedelics, um, we launched uh, Mind Bloom, which was really one of the first, um, you know, major ketamine clinics in the U.S. and one of the first to offer virtual ketamine during COVID. Um, to Silo Wellness, which is a, a company that partners with the Bob Marley family uh, to do, um, you know, both functional mushrooms and psychedelics. Um, and we really specialize in beverages. I mean, obviously, that's my background. I have few people on the team that worked at, at Budweiser or in beverage before. Um, we've launched over a dozen THC and CBD beverages, um, and I've done about 30 beverages in alcohol over my career. So that's an area where I think we really shine is, um, but just in general kind of brand and CPG PR as kind of, you know, kind of our core practice. You know, my next question is really a general question, which is what are your thoughts on the future of the industry? But because you just mentioned your experience in beverage and not only in alcohol as well as cannabis infused beverage, what do you think of that beverage in terms of being the future of the industry or normalizing the industry in terms of a form factor? I mean, I'm obviously really excited about it. I think there's a, a big opportunity right now. Beverage is only 2% of the, of the cannabis category. Um, but to me, that just shows a huge opportunity for growth. Um, when you think about, you know, all of the different beverages that people purchase today, um, you know, if you would have said uh, 15 years ago that you were going to be spending $8 on a bottle of water in a hotel room in New York City, you probably would have ne never believed you were going to pay for water, um, you know, um, or, or, you know, be buying kind of canned fizzy water. You know, I remember like going abroad and having carbonated water and being like, who drinks this trash? <laughs> and now my fridge is full of LaCroix, right? Um, I mean, tastes change um, in the category of, evolves. Uh, I, I think there will always be a place for alcoholic beverages, but cannabis beverages are getting a lot better. Um, they're getting lower dose, which I think is important because they can be what the industry calls sessionable, meaning you can have more than one without being on your ass. <laughs> um, you know, people like to have a couple Bud Lights, being able to have a couple, um, you know, cans or, you know, other, uh, other cannabis beverages socially um, without getting super high, I think is important and being able to control that experience, um, you know, make it a little bit more akin to a shot or a glass of wine. Um, 
And, you know, the wellness benefits, I mean, part of the reason I wanted to get out of alcohol is I, it's not good for people, right? Uh, it's not good for your liver. It's not good for your body. Um, you know, whereas, you know, cannabis, I feel like is a much healthier option. You're not having a hangover. Um, you know, so I think that there's, there's so many ways that this can go, um, but it's absolutely going to grow. It's one of the categories I'm most excited about. Um, when you think about people entering the cannabis category, there's a lot of people that, you know, know how to roll joints and, uh, you know, have been smoking for a long time. But new people coming into the category and Gen Z coming into the category, I think there will be people that never learn how to roll a joint, that never smoke, that will enter the category using edibles and, and beverages and may never partake in flour. And that's okay. It's a different type of consumer, but I think that that's going to be the next generation. And these products are going to become more CPG-like. Um, we're going to see more variety. Uh, and so that's the world I'm trying to help my clients prepare for. That's exactly the world I see as well. Over the course of the last 20 months or so on Clubhouse, I've, I've participated in many conversations where people talk about industry versus ingredient. And I think there'll always be an industry, the cannabis industry. I think, you know, as long as people grow and cultivate flour and then make products from that flour, they'll always be the industry. But the further out we move from the flour into isolates and distillates and water-soluble powders and cannabinoids, that becomes an ingredient. And those ingredients will then in turn be part of beverages and edibles and and eventually someday toothpastes and mouthwashes and so on and so forth. Not necessarily that those get you stoned, but that they have cannabinoids in them. And, uh, and I think that's where the evolution starts to take that that is the commercialization of cannabis in my in my opinion and i think it's also going to do a little bit of what the beer world did um when i was at budweiser it's really when craft beer exploded and um, you really started to see segmentation within beer and kind of wars within the beer category where you started kind of having mainstream corporate you know beer and you started having hipster beer like pbr and you started having you know craft beer like you know kind of beardy craft guys and, and women right um and so um and and that persists right there's still a lot of segmentation in the beer category in and of itself and it's been better for the category because it's forced more innovation it you know has really driven um you know some of the bigger brands to really focus on their quality um and it's also helped the um, craft beers to get, you know, scrappier and smarter about their marketing so that they can compete with some of the bigger companies. So it's been good. And I think we'll, can, we'll all, there will always be a place for flour and there will always be um, kind of uh, the akin to craft, like the real kind of OG cannabis, um, kind of more organic, natural approach and um, things that are very close to the flour. And then there's going to be things that are going to be, um, you know, uh, very kind of, hyper produced, uh, and you know, that go into CPG products and, and that's okay. Um, you know, that's, that is going to be a sign of maturity for the industry. It happens in every other industry and it will happen in cannabis and there's room for everyone. When I first launched the book, uh, in April, um, while it was generally received very well, there was pushback in terms of, um, there are no national brands. It's too early to write a book on cannabis brands. My response really is I've got three words for you, which is Paps Blue Ribbon. You know, that's always been my, my go-to brand just because it is a national brand in the cannabis space. What are your thoughts on PBR being in the cannabis-infused world? Yeah, um, well, A, I think it's super smart. 
Interestingly, uh, the CMO that hired me at AB InBev is now the CEO of Pabst. <laughs> uh, so um, again, things coming very full circle. Um, you know, Pabst did kind of they they created Pabst Labs, so they did um, you know kind of firewall it out from PBR a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I but I think it's smart. Again, the the move that I that I kind of saw coming when I decided to leave beer and enter cannabis is I saw the worlds coming together. Uh, if I learned anything from craft, big beer did not were, did not know that they needed to be afraid of craft beer, and it took them way too long to figure it out. And by the time they figured it out, craft beer already like had taken off and was stealing share from them left and right. Many a, a lot of that share they'll never get back. Right, people that are only going to drink craft beer. You know, we spent most of our time trying to convince people that Bud Light wasn't shit beer, right? Because Kraft had depositioned those beers so badly. Um, you know, so I think that now the alcohol industry, the same thing's going to happen where cannabis beverages are going to come out of nowhere and deposition them as unhealthy, um, you know, as, and as cannabis beverages being better for you for all these reasons. And the brands that see that coming and actually make it part of their business model and make room in their category for cannabis beverages and make it, you know, part of the part of their offering are going to be the ones that are going to win and, and not get depositioned in that way. So they're smart, but they're making that move. You know, it's a move everybody should be making. Certainly everything is changing all the time in the cannabis space. But wow, to have worked on um, six uh, Super Bowl campaigns for Budweiser, people only dream of that. So so you've 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 done that. And then some, which is pretty amazing. Is there anything else you would like people to know about you, your personal mission, or your message? Any final thoughts before we close out the show? You've really accomplished so much, and you've really brought so much to the industry. I'll just turn it over to you and, and let you finish things up. You know, I would just say, you know, Trailblaze, we, we really have tried to set ourselves apart from, you know, other other agencies in this industry um, and just the industry in general by, you know, really taking cannabis seriously, um, really trying to bring true strategy and sophistication to the category in terms of our approaches, um, but also to do it in a way that makes sense, that is, you know, tapping cannabis culture um, and that doesn't necessarily require huge budget. So we're trying to kind of give people, you know, uh, kind of Budweiser campaigns on the PBR budget or less, right? <laughs> um, so that's that's what really what we're about. Um, and at the end of the day, we love working. You know, we we love working with fellow trailblazers. We're trying to find the next generation of of brands, right? Um, that are that are going to sustain. Um, so that's what we are about. Um, you can follow me at Cannabis Publicist um, on uh, Instagram or the company is trailblaze.co on Instagram. Um, and, uh, we'd love to connect. Thank you, Lisa. Lots of insight and experience and, and we really need it in the industry. We love hearing about what you've done and seeing what you've done, literally blowing it up this past weekend. So congratulations again. As Lisa said earlier, you can find her and her PR from Trailblaze at trailblaze.co. You can find me on Instagram at brandingbud, and you can find my website and podcast at brandingbud.com. You can always contact me directly at david at brandingbud.com. Please check out my book, Branding Bud, The Commercialization of Cannabis, the first book on cannabis branding, available on amazon.com. Again, a big thank you to Lisa and the listening audience. Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.